Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. That, my friends, is the sound that you should be hearing for the remainder of this Philadelphia Phillies season. Because it's over. It's been over, but I think dropping two of three to the Florida, Miami Marlins, and not being able to hit against that crap team, with the exception of one game, uh, is all you need to hear. It's It's all you need to know. The, the Phillies just don't have it this year. And I'm not convinced that they'll have it beyond this year. Uh, we'll dive into that. Welcome to the Crossed Up Phil, a Phillies podcast. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, joined as always by Bob Wankel. And I know Bob is, uh, is kind of feeling the same way I am right now, that uh, we are just treading water on the season at this point. And, that, and by that I mean you and me. Um, because the Phillies aren't treading water anymore. The Phillies have com- they're completely submerged at this yes, point. Yes, they have drowned. <laughs> I uh, I wrote on the website two weeks ago when uh, Dominguez gave up the home run to Zimmerman, the walk off homer in Washington. That I-, I thought at that point that they were done. Um, and it wasn't just because it was such a bad loss. It wasn't like, oh, they won't be able to overcome the, the mental blow of this loss or the devastation of the loss. I just said this looks, this looks like a product that is, has sort of kind of reached its end. And I, it, not to say, like, oh, I'm right, because if you look at it, they're three games out with 23 left. And from a mathematical standpoint, you look at the fan graphs, probabilities of, of playoff percentages, and can they win it still, they're going to hover around like 30%. So from like a mathematical standpoint, they're in it. Uh, but if you've watched this team, if you and you're being honest with yourself, and, and you're not trying to pull the – in 2007, they were seven out with 17 left, and – if you just look at the facts and you look at what this team is, the question that I keep coming back to, because I, I did it today. I did it, Anthony. I did it today. The Braves were up 7-1 to in the eighth inning against the Boston Red Sox. It looked like they were going to salvage a game of their three-game series down in Atlanta. And the Red Sox come back and tie the game in the eighth inning at 7-7. And then Freddie Freeman comes up in the bottom of the eighth and gives the Braves the lead. And you go, oh, man, that's the Braves. That's a good win for them. They hung on. Nice job. And then they blow it again in the ninth. Brandon Phillips, who had been in the minor leagues all season long, hits a two-run homer in the ninth inning to give the Red Sox a sweep. And I'm thinking to myself, this Braves team stinks too. The Phillies just go out tonight. They win a series for the first time in a month. They've shaved two games off Atlanta's lead this week, and they're in it. And what do they do? They go out tonight, and they just lay a complete and total egg. And, and you just have to say, this team doesn't do anything well. Who are the Phillies to shave off another three games over the final week? Who are the Phillies to beat this team, this Atlanta team, head up? And when you just look at it that way, I'm sorry. I just think it's over. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that there's – well, I'm going to say this first. Uh, we, we actually started talking about this a little bit um, when we started recording the other night. I, I know we're a couple days late. Yeah, we, we, we a, apologize for that. Yeah, we, yeah. Had, a, we, had, a tech, we had a little bit of a technical issue. We with, pride ourselves on uh, getting one out every Tuesday morning. For right. You, and, yeah, and we had a, we had a technical issue with uh, the server who, that records our show. So um, that's why we're two days late this week. But um, we started talking about it and, I, I, and saying that, you know, if you go back to when we first started this podcast back in March – and it was either the first or the second episode that um, we made predictions for the season. And uh, you per- predicted the Phillies would, would win 83 games, and I predicted 85. Um, and, and I think that the thought process at the time was that we were probably optimistic, that we were probably thinking, you know, that they're a little bit better than they really are. Um, you know, we identified some things that we thought that they were going to be, and you know, and that they could that could go well for them with certain players. And like we, you know, we were an optimistic duo. 
here we are in September, and they're probably going to finish right around that those two numbers, somewhere in that 83 to 85 win range, okay? That's probably where they're going to finish. And now we're negative as hell. And the reason is, is even though they're going to finish with the record that we thought they were going to finish with, and we could say, well, hey, look, they are what we, what we thought they were at the beginning of the season. They're f- the furthest thing from what we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season. Because everything that we thought that they were, they really aren't at this point. And that's the troubling thing to me. Because, and we talked about it on the last episode, and we don't need to dive back into it again, but there's really not a lot of guarantee for next year. Beyond Aaron Nola, there's not a lot that you're going to look at this team and say, I know that this guy's going to be a, you know, a good contributor and play this position. I don't think any of the nine positions or eight positions in the field are, are settled. Uh, we know that there, we know some of these players who are going to be here next year, but we don't know where they're going to play or if they're going to be the regular. We don't know what the rotation is going to be like beyond Nola and uh, probably, I mean, obviously Arietta. Like, we don't know. Like, what's that well, going to look like? It's an interesting dynamic because I think that people that casually observe the Phillies say, well, they're having a decent season, and I know that September's been rough or August has been, has been particularly tough on this team, but overall you have to be happy. This was a team that, you know, won, what, 66 games a season ago, I believe? Uh, and, you know, so when you look at it that way, you go, well, look at the progress that they've made. But there are two different issues at play here for me, and and I want to just talk about the, the most obvious one, especially after today. It's the way that they're losing these games. I mean, if you would tell me at the, at the beginning of the season, if you would have told me that they would not make the postseason and they would fall a few games short, I'd say, all right, there's no shame in that. But when you see the way that Atlanta is just continually leaving the door open for the Phillies, they say, here you go. Come on, man. Get back into it. Walk through. Join us. And the Phillies just keep tripping over themselves. I mean, games like tonight, you don't have to be a playoff-ready team. You don't have to be a polished product to beat the Miami Marlins. You shouldn't have to be the team that, that, you know, they they don't have to be the Yankees. They don't have to be the Red Sox to win these games in September. These are games that they should win even as a mediocre team. And if they were just doing the bare minimum right now, if they were winning every other series, or if they had won three or four series over the past month, I'm not talking about playing 700 baseball. I'm just talking about being a functional, mediocre team. They would be in first place right now. And they just can't get out of their own way. And, and so that's what makes it so frustrating. It's not the 83 wins. It's not that they might not make the postseason. It's that they just aren't taking advantage of these opportunities that are being given to them. Kevin Nagani from ESPN tweeted out today, teams entering the eighth inning with a six-run lead are 487-0 entering today. And the Braves lose. And, and it's all there for the Phillies to get within two games. And they just they can't do it. And I think that that's what's driving people so crazy when you look at how this season has gone. It's not that they're not going to reach the postseason. It's not that they're only going to win 83 games. I understand that it's going to take a while to get to where they want to be. This isn't a finished product. But Jesus, I mean, you've got to take advantage of these situations, and that's what's killer. Yeah, and it's amazing to me because it doesn't matter what they try at this point. They've tried everything. Yeah, I go mean, heavy on offense. You got Carlos Santana playing third base. That's Drupal Cabrera playing shortstop tonight. You're you're it, trying to maximize your offense and you score one run. It was the it may have been the worst defensive lineup ever fielded. <laughs> yeah, and they got away with it tonight. I they mean, did. It, you know, they, they, it, it, I mean, if you're going to get away with it, you're going to get away with it against the Miami Marlins, right? And they did. They didn't have no errors. There was no real plays where you sit there and say, "Well, gee, you know, a regular defensive player would have gotten that." No, nothing like that. Um and they did, but they they couldn't do anything. They couldn't they couldn't produce. It's ridiculous. Against who are they facing? I mean, it's not like the you're going up there against some, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball. This is oh, you know the deal. If you have an ERA over four, you're a rookie. <laughs> you're going to be in pretty good shape against this team. Yeah, you know, and so that's I said it's part of it. It's it's part of the the fact that they aren't taking advantage of opportunities being given to them. And I'll tell you what, I'm sure that there are going to be more opportunities given to them. I mean, like I said, from a mathematical standpoint, this isn't over. The the Braves go out to Arizona this weekend. They'll probably struggle out there. The Phillies will have more than ample opportunity to to win a few games 
against the Mets this weekend and climb back in within a game or two, I'm sure. I would say if I were a betting man that the Phillies will cut this lead to two games or less at some point before the end of the season. Um, I, I just think that it's trending that way. But here's the problem. You look at the schedule, and who do you have this week? Well, first of all, you don't beat the Mets to begin with. It doesn't matter who they're throwing out there. But then you have Syndergaard, DeGrom, and I believe Mats is the uh, third guy that the Mets are going to throw at them this weekend. Do you have any confidence at all that the Phillies win this series? I mean, No. No. In fact, if, if, if <laughs> here's the other thing, if I were a betting man, I would probably roll the dice and take the Mets in this series. You just look at the pitching matchups, the way that the Mets have owned the Phillies for the past you know, five or six years now, and the way that this team's playing, and, and I don't know. I mean, I feel like you're going to get pretty good value on the Mets uh, you know, come this weekend. But I, I think that not, it, not only is this a team that's not taking advantage of opportunities down the stretch, I think the more concerning thing is kind of what you alluded to a few moments ago, which is the developmental aspect of this. And you said there are no certainties beyond Aaron Nola. Uh, I would have told you a couple of weeks ago that there were no certainties beyond Aaron Nola and Reese Hoskins. But yeah. let's, let's get into Reese Hoskins. It's no coincidence that this Phillies offense has struggled you know, at, at times this season, and it seems like when they struggle most is when Reese Hoskins goes quiet. And unfortunately, that is happening at a, a much higher rate or a much more frequent rate than I think any of us had anticipated. And after tonight's game, in which I believe he was, and I'll bring this up, he was 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. He left two men on base. He's down to 246 on the season in terms of batting average, 839 OPS, which is solid. But you look at what he's done lately. When the Phillies truly need him most down the stretch, forget everything that's happened the first five months of the season, you just got to do it now. He's two for his last 26. And you go back over the last 30 days, he's hitting 170 with a 618 OPS. He has been non-existent for this team when it matters most. And the one thing you can say, you look at Jimmy Rollins from 2007, Ryan Howard, when those guys were coming up through the system, they played their best baseball at the end of the season when it mattered most. Well, where the hell is he at? Because we all assume that Reese Hoskins is one of the best players in the National League in terms of his offensive abilities. Well, where is he? And I think that it's time that we, we look at him and say, maybe he isn't what we thought he was. Maybe he's just a guy that is good enough to, to rip off a good streak here and there, but from a consistency aspect and, and the complete total package of a hitter, maybe he's not what we thought he was. What if, what if I sit here and say to you, Reese Hoskins' career arc is going to be kind of similar to Brandon Belt? I, I thought you were going to say Pat Burrell. I would have, yeah, I really thought you were going to say Pat Burrell there. Brandon Belt, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that's you're not going to be upset with that. I mean, Brandon Belt's a lifetime 270 hitter, 350 on base. You know, drives in runs, walks, you know, things like that. I mean, he's you know, yeah, he's a decent player. But there's there's but he's not a he's not a star. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. There there are two different aspects to this. I mean, it's not to say that Reese Hoskins is a a bad player or that you can't win with Reese Hoskins. I'm not implying that. But maybe he's not the star that we thought he was. And then the other. The other part of this, I would say, is that he's – it's his second year. I know that, that you don't necessarily just show up and become a superstar. That's not the – to use your word, the arc of every player, of every all-star player. Sometimes it takes a while. I get that he's really been up for basically one full season. So let's be completely fair about this. I mean, he's got a lot to learn still. I know that. And, and I expect more of him. And I do think that he'll continue to grow. But this is troubling. And I know that he might be a little bit banged up. I know he took a pitch off the wrist uh, recently. That may be impacting what we see. And he's just trying trying to suck it up and play through it. and So I don't, I don't want to go totally over the edge here and make some sweeping conclusion about Reese Hoskins' you know, clutch factor or his, his game, but I will say it has been a little bit startling to see this performance from him lately because I have such great expectations for him. I thought that he would be the type of guy, and I, I think he has this in him, but we haven't seen it. I thought he would be the type of guy that would say, we're here, I understand the moment, I'm going to do this. I'm going to carry this team. I'm that type of player, and we just haven't seen it. And, and maybe it shows up over the next three weeks. Who knows? But I'm concerned about what I've seen from Reese Hoskins now for the last month. Yeah. And it's not just him. I mean, yeah, he, but he's oh, no. definitely yeah, – no, not at all. He's, he's definitely, you know, gets into the crosshairs a little bit more because, you know, he's the player we've been told all year – 
your best players bat two and four. Well, who's been batting two and four all year for them? Reese Hoskins and Carlos Santana. Well, how the hell are they doing? (laughs) They're doing just okay. They're not doing enough to carry an offense. And that's that's the issue. And and so when that and I'll tell you what, you know what's funny, man? So after tonight, uh, Santana goes one for three at a double. He's up to two twenty-eight. Like, is, is he going to backdoor a two forty average this season? He's going he's gonna to do it, what he's always done. You know, and, and that's amazing, isn't it? Like, he's going to end up in that that probably mid to high two thirties. So I will say, uh, Carlos Santana has has been if if they've really been anything over the last week or two, it's it's been him. He's he's done a little bit to kind of. I don't want to say carry this team because they're not going anywhere, but uh, he's at least shown up, uh, you know, over the last week or two. So I, I will say that. I mean, that average is creeping up. Uh, he, he has been in the middle of some of their rare, uh, you know, I don't want to use offensive explosions. I think that that's a, probably an oversell, but he, he has been better lately. Um, but, it, you know, that's what I said. They're 5-12 and 12 in their last 17 games. They haven't won a series since late July, going back to that red series in Cincinnati, um, other than the four-game sweep of the Marlins at home back in, in early August. And other than that, it's been a disaster. And that doesn't happen by accident. Yeah. Yeah. So, look, I, I, I have, and I mentioned this in the previous uh, episode, I, I have some concerns with the team – or, uh, organizational philosophy that they're that they are approaching to their team that they're bringing to the team. I'm concerned with how they have players uh, approaches at the plate. I'm concerned with how they feel about um, you know bullpen usage and starting pitching usage. I have concerns about you know their their development course. And then, of course, you have big news that you know got reported, but not really talked about it at, at a lot of detail. But John Jordan leaves, or John Joe Jordan leaves the team, um, and he was their uh, director of player development, and didn't really make a statement on his way out. Just kind of left. It kind of shows you that you know, and on his, you know, the, the 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 statement he did make, you know, he thanked all the people who are no longer here. He didn't say anything about Matt Clentac or anybody else that's in the organization. It tells you there's a real rift in the way things are being developed in Philadelphia right now. And that's not to say Joe Jordan is right. Maybe Matt Clentac and his people are correct. But it tells you that there are people within the organization who don't necessarily buy into what the organization is doing. And I don't necessarily, and I, that's not. Yeah, and, the, and they have a, a numerous scouts that are in the last year of their deals. Um, yeah. That, that won't be renewed or that you would assume aren't going to come back. And I, I agree that there is going to, or that there exists a rift or a, a philosophical difference here. And you're, you're going to see this, the Matt Clentac philosophy, the, the, data-driven decisions, it's going to infiltrate. It's not just up here at the major league level. I mean, this stuff is going to be heavily relied upon in their evaluations and the decision-making process at the lower levels as well. And I think that the thing Joe Jordan on his way out kind of said, like, I, I can't do what they want me to do. Like, this isn't me. And, and, and I think if there is one knock on Joe Jordan, I mean, he did take a, a decimated system and, and he made it respectable. It was a, a top five system for a little bit, uh, you know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, and then all these players graduated. But there still does not exist a premier offensive talent, a true difference maker uh, in terms of a bat in this organization. And I think that that's the big knock on Joe Jordan. I will, I will say that. I mean, it's not like Joe Jordan was this, this savior to this franchise. No, no not at all. I, and I agree. Um, but I will say this, when you have these kinds of um, uh, disagreements within an organization, this is not lost on other players around the league, and nor is it lost on their agents who are very you know, in tune with what's going on. Um, and I would venture to say that something like this, some unrest, some uncertainty, some whispers that go around baseball – you know, could have an impact on free agent decisions on whether or not to go to a team like the Phillies. Because, I, you know, one of the things that we've, I think we've learned is that although there are a lot of people in baseball uh, uh, at the executive levels um, and their um, analytics departments who firmly believe in this approach to playing the game, um, that there are a lot of players who don't quite understand it. Because players are players. 
Players are creatures of habit. They want to do things the way they've always done them. They don't want to change, even if the even if they're being told to change. Um, and so I think that it's hard for a player to sit there and say, "Well, gee, you know, here's a guy who built that system and he wants to get out because he doesn't agree with." Uh, agree with the way things are being done do i well, want to go into that to situation be fair, though to, to be fair is it that he wanted to get out or that the phillies wanted him out you know so i, I mean we it made this maybe semantics but we don't really know who ultimately drove this decision do we true you true know? although i, I kind of got the sense that um that it was more his decision to leave than it was i mean it's probably it's probably mutual but um you know Really, I mean, when here's his quote. I, I just want to read this quote from 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 Jordan because I think it's very telling. Um, I've had the best job in this organization for the last seven years. I can't I can't thank former GM Ruben Amaro Jr. and former assistant GM Benny Looper enough for bringing me in and giving me this opportunity to be able to work with former club president David Montgomery and develop a friendship with him and Hall of Fame executive Pat Gillick. They have been mentors to me. David taught me how to manage and treat people. Pat, everyone knows his resume. He validated a lot of what I believe. He is the ultimate people person. No one cares about people more than David and Pat, and that's how I tried to run my department. Dallas Green, he used to march in my office with a notepad after watching Reading for five days. He'd say, this is what we need to get better at. I listened to him. He didn't think I, he didn't think I always did, but I did. And Charlie Manuel, the passion he has for this game. And recently getting to reconnect with Andy McPhail. Those guys helped shape me. Where's where's the mention of of Matt Clintac? Where's the mention of uh, the, you know the the approach that the team is taking today? I, it's there's I thought he went out of his way to not mention them and went out of his way even more. My my favorite part was about being a people person and no one cares more about people than David and Pat and that's how I wanted to run my department. Saying that what the Phillies have now, I think that's a that's a subtle way of saying they aren't people people. <laughs> Well, okay, so th- th- there's a lot to unpack with that. I guess the, the first thing I would say is that um, where did where did being people oriented and, and the things that Joe Jordan alluded to in that in that statement? Well, you know, okay, that's fine, that's all fine and well, but that also led the Phillies to overvaluing their own talent, hanging on too long, trying to do right by guys that gave them their glory, and they they helped dig that hole. You know, those decisions that David Montgomery made, that loyalty that he mentioned, that's part of the reason that they got into this position in the first place. I will say that. Now, clearly those guys helped build the 2018 that won a championship, and they've been in baseball and they've had a lot of success throughout the years. But, you know, I think that there's this assumption here that, well, they're not people, you know, they're not people people, uh, to, to borrow your phrase. I don't know, man. I got to say, like, that's, that's part of the reason that we're in this situation, that they had to go through this rebuild over the last six years to begin with. So Yeah, but that, you, I, you, you pointed, here's where I'm going to disagree with you, Bob. You pointed out, um, when you first mentioned, when we first started talking about this, that the Phillies team is loaded with people who developed under Jordan. You, you got, uh, I guess Cesar Hernandez has been here the longest of all of them, but Hoskins, Nola, Franco, uh, Kingery, uh, Alfaro. Uh, are we, uh, okay, Williams, they developed, Pavetta, they developed, Eflin, but I Arano, mean, Roman Quinn, they all came through. I mean, yeah, some of them yeah, were but you're naming guys that we're, we're talking about as, as potential question marks. These guys haven't developed to the point of, of full maturity where we even know that these are everyday major league players. What, what do we really know about all these guys that we're mentioning? They, they got promoted through a, a, to a team that was filled with holes that, that went cheap. I mean, part of the reason that some of these guys have gotten the playing time that they have is because they've had opportunity because the Phillies weren't going out to spend money because they would suck so bad. So like, I mean, there's, I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying that you're wrong here, but the whole reason that, that Scott Kingery is at the major league level right now is because there was nobody else to play because the whole damn thing was so thin. So I don't know. And like, what do we know about Scott Kingery? What do we know about Michael Franco? You know, like we could, and I can't wait to do this this winter with you because they have a million decisions to make. And like, how much do we trust? And I think that we were inevitably going to get to this conversation anyway tonight. How much do you trust some of the guys that have made progress this season? Like Nick Williams, Michael Franco, they've taken step forward or steps forward, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah no doubt sure. about it. But are they guys that are going to be integral parts of this team moving forward 2019-2020 as they try to push to become a perennial postseason contender? I, I can't say with any certainty that they have. So in that way, they've kind of failed because I thought Mike Alfranco was going to be an all-star. I thought Scott Kingery was going to come up here and hit 270 this year. I didn't think he was going to be Dustin Pedroia, but I thought he'd be a competent major league hitter. I did. You know, and, and so I, some of these things Joe Jordan should you know, certainly deserve credit for, but at the same time, I don't know, what, what are we talking about here? You know, it's not like this guy did some fantastic job, you know, reinvigorating this franchise. We don't know that yet. And, and I, w- I will say this, he does kind of give the nod to McPhail. Well, so how closely are McPhail and Klintak tied it, you know? Uh, at the- he, he mentioned, he just kind of threw Andy McPhail in at the end. And recently getting to reconnect with McFit. Yeah, McPhail. I guess that's kind of almost like, yeah, yeah and he's not bad. And, you know, Clintac, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even mention Clintac. No, well, I mean, I think, I think that the argument that I can make back, and again, this is pure speculation on my part, but I, I like to think that it's, it's you, know, uh, you know, an intelligent... There's some, yeah, intelligent there's reasoning to, behind it, right. sure. Um, but I, the one thing I could say back to you is, is that a lot of these guys were on a, a, a good path to the major leagues, um, and were doing things the way that I think Jordan kind of liked them to do it and thought that these guys could be productive major league ball players. And then Klentak's group comes in and cha- kind of changes the approach. And I think that that's why you see, I, I, that, you know, again, this is my opinion, but I think that that's why you see some of the struggles that you're seeing. I'll tell you this let's look at a guy like Michael Franco. Franco. Prior to you know this this change, really struggled, really struggled, and we thought he's done. There's no prayer. He's not going to have. And then he comes out and has a really nice season. Well, what were some of the things that he was doing well this year? I, I how many times has he gone? You know, hit the pitch. The it's laid off that that you know slider diving away from him. But the fastball that's left up out and away, he would hit it to right center or hit it to right field. He would go with the pitch. He wasn't trying to pull everything down the left field line or trying to hit everything out of the ballpark. I think that benefited him. I think that that benefited him, and that's kind of an approach that I wish more guys on this team would take. But the problem is is that not enough guys have taken that approach. I mean, you heard Jimmy Rollins was talking to, um, uh, I think it was Roman Quinn yesterday when they brought Rollins in to kind of meet with the team. I think it was Roman Quinn. And he was saying stuff like, yeah, you should, you should be, you know, just getting, you know, hitting line drives and getting on base. You're like me. You're not a power guy. Don't try and swing up on the ball. Like I don't know. It, I, I know that he had a similar conversation with Cesar Hernandez. But that's who it was. Yeah. It was Cesar Hernandez, yeah. not Roman Quinn. You're yeah. right. It was, it was Cesar Hernandez. Yeah. So that's that's right. So, but that's my point. So like, yeah, that's and the, let's we'll get to him in a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's fine. We can get to Cesar Hernandez. But the, the but this is what I'm saying. Like, we're not we're not there. We're not being ridiculous when we're sitting here saying. We just need a little bit of, of, of what used to be baseball to be here. And then the rest of the stuff you guys can keep doing, and I think you'll find success. I just think that they try to change too much too quickly, but, but here's and it the, may have hurt these guys. Here's the question that I have, and, and, and I know the answer to it, but it's more just to kind of promote a, a conversation off of this. Obviously, not every player is the same. Right, and not every player's swing is the same, and not every player's tendencies are the same. And, and so... If we're going to say that Nick Williams made strides this season, uh, and we're going to say that Michael Franco has turned around what looked like it was just going to be a complete bottoming out of his career in Philadelphia, who are we giving the credit to for that? You know, certainly the player deserves some credit because they're the ones doing it, but who, who instilled, who got through to Michael Franco to say, hey, you know, they're going to work you low and away with sliders. Just spit on a couple of them. You're never going to be a 300 hitter against them. It's never going to be a pitch that you're going to handle with success. But if you just lay off a few of them, you're going to see better pitches to hit, and then you're going to turn on those pitches because that's really what it's come down to for him. That's so, a great. It's a it's a great question, Bob. But, I mean, but it, if it, we're it could cl- well be it could well be the same people that are <laughs> that are dealing with Cesar Hernandez right. and, and Scott Kingery. Exactly and, right. So could well go- be. And, and you yeah. know, so that's the thing. If we're going to give them credit on Williams and and Franco, then at the same time, what has happened to Cesar Hernandez, and what has happened to guys like Kingery who who have really just not met expectations. 
And, and, and Odubel Herrera, uh, for that matter, who I think is, is one of the biggest, uh, you know, that one of the biggest head scratchers that there is. So, uh, you know. So if I, if, I had to, if I have to answer that question, if I have to answer it, this is what I say to you. Guys like Franco and Williams, they've had better seasons um, because they have some power, right? So what they've done is, is they've, like you said, They've been told to lay off some pitches, be more selective at the plate, and when you're more selective, you'll get better pitches to hit and just have a different approach, and then you'll still drive the ball, right? You'll still have some power, um, and then you'll, you'll find that you'll get more hits this way, and that's worked with them. Whereas the, the guys who don't really have power, are who are being asked to do something that they don't normally do, Odubel Herrera with 21 home runs, Cesar Hernandez swing, uh, you know, uh, changing the launch angle on his swing significantly. Um, I, I think guys like that, that it, it that didn't work, right? That's a thing that just didn't. Work. I think so. I think that it benefits guys who have that natural ability to be more of a home run hitter. And, and I heard Larry Anderson on the radio today. Um, uh, talking with some guys during the during I forget if I was listening to WIP or ninety seven five I forget which one I was listening to. I think it was WIP uh, but he was on and he was saying that the approach and they they make no bones about it the approach for all of their hitters is you go up there and you try and hit a home run that is the what they that is he says Kapler tells us that's what he wants them to do Walker a home run and that's what they want and, and that's not blaming Gabe. I think that that's above Gabe. I think that that's something that's that Gabe agrees with. But I think that oh, that's it, certainly an organizational. It's philosophy. an organizational oh, philosophy. Yeah. I mean, yes. that's and that's why Clintac goes out and makes that hire. He wants someone that thinks like him. You know, and, right. and of course, a general manager wants his manager to to be in line with him. You know, so that's that shouldn't be a surprise. But certainly, I think that that's something from the top down that this this organization, this regime wants to instill. Yeah, so, um, so so when you have Reese Hoskins or Mike Calfranco or Nick Williams swinging at a pitch at their shoulders and striking out, you're, you're frustrated, but at least you say you understand why. You understand why they're swinging at that pitch because they if they make contact, they can drive it and, and put it out of the park. Okay, fine. But in a game like tonight, when you have runners on first and second and one out in the bottom of the ninth inning, and you got Pedro Florimon and Roman Quinn coming up, and both of them strike out on pitches that are shoulder or neck high, wh- Why? Like, why, are, why is the approach for guys like that who are not power hitters to be swinging at those pitches? They're not going to do anything with them. Yeah, it makes not only zero did they, sense. I mean, and we talked about this before the show. Not only are they not going to do anything with them, I, I pointed this out to you. I said, you know what his – the guy uh, – what's his name? Steckenrider? Is it Drew yeah, Steckenrider? Yeah, Drew Steckenrider. <laughs> the great Drew Steckenrider. He gets uh, – there's two men on base, one out, and Florman comes up, and I think he works like a nine or ten pitch at bat, and he gets all four-seam fastballs. And all of them but one uh, were like 95 to 97 miles an hour. It's the same velocity, the same pitch over and over and over again. And Pedro Florman didn't even come close to squaring up one of those baseballs. I mean, not even close. And then Roman Quinn comes up, and he sees all four-seam fastballs. The last 16 pitches that Steckenrider threw were all four-seam fastballs, and they couldn't do a damn thing with it. I mean, yeah. and then you want to just take a, like a little glimpse into the Phillies' issues. There you go. I mean, that guy was basically saying, you cannot hurt me, and, and he, they didn't. And it's just, it's just amazing. It's just baffling to watch his team's approach at the plate. Um, you know, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Cesar Hernandez, and I wasn't exactly sure how we were going to get to this, but it feels like a good time to, to just sort of look at him real quick. Yeah. You talk about the, uh, the philosophy that's been implemented here, and the, the guys that it's probably most negatively impacted are certainly Herrera and, and Hernandez. And so just a, a quick look at the numbers. He's hitting 252 after tonight's game, which is 41 points less than it was a year ago. And really, that, again, the average isn't everything, but when you look at the OPS, he was up to 793 last year, I believe. Uh, and he's hitting, uh, or he has a 716 OPS right now. So, I mean, you just look at that drop-off. You're talking about an almost 80-point decrease on his OPS. Um, since July 1st, he's hitting basically 225. Um, he only has eight extra base hits. The OPS is in the low 600s. I mean, you're talking about a guy that had two pretty good offensive seasons for them in 2016-2017, just completely fall off a cliff this season. The, the hard hit percentage last year, um, or actually historically, he's had about 2,500 at-bats uh, or plate appearances. 
about 24% of the balls that he has hit or made contact on have been classified as hard hit. This year, that's down to 18.5%. That's like a, almost a 20% a 20 decrease in hard hit baseballs. Um, and he's been so bad that if any second baseman with at least 100 plate appearances, and that's not a totally arbitrary number, that's like, do you play about half the time? Uh, so of any second baseman with at least 100 plate appearances since July 1st, Hernandez has the third worst average, the third worst OPS, and he's dead last in slugging percentage. So you're not just talking about a, a two-week stretch, and you're not just talking about a guy that was a pretty decent hitter a year ago who's, who's just not the same player. I mean, he's been awful. Uh, he's been well below league average in almost every uh, major offensive category, uh, other than that he does still occasionally draw a walk, and, and we do know how much his team values that. Why is that happening? And it goes back exactly to what you said uh, about the swing path, about what they're trying to do with their hitters. The, uh, the strikeouts, I mean, he struck out a ton this season, but really what, what jumps out at me is that he has already more than 30 extra fly balls this season, fly ball outs, than he had a year ago. I mean, think about that. You know, we still have more than three weeks of this season left, and he has more than 30 extra or additional flyouts than he had a season ago and you're seeing and he's a, a guy lot. and he's a guy who should be getting on base with his legs yeah you yeah. know he's a guy that should be singling through the hole hitting the ball on a line like that's this guy's game and I know that the home runs what do you have nine homers a year ago and he's yeah. up to 11 I think uh this season I mean that's not like if the trade-off was all of what I just said to you and, and the average comes down but he's got an additional 12 home runs, I'd say, all right, well, that's well, yeah, something if, to think about. If but, the OPS went up yeah, but and I mean, the average the OPS went down. Is by almost 100 points, I think you have to reevaluate how, you, how you, yes. you're using this guy. Now, the, the real reason that I initially looked at that, I, they, they moved him down out of the leadoff spot. He's been six. I think he hit six tonight. He was ninth for a game or two. Obviously, they've reached the point with him where they say we've got to something's got to give here. We got to get him out of the leadoff spot, and that's all fine and well. The the real reason why I started to look at it in the first place, I said, well, if this is a team full of question marks heading into next season, is Cesar Hernandez part of the plan? Do you see him coming back here next no. season? Yeah, because no. I don't either. Uh, he has one year remaining on his deal. He's going to be relatively cheap. I know that the Phillies were either reluctant to trade him last offseason or they didn't get the offer that they felt that they needed in order to make a move on him. But, but if they could go back and do this one over, if they had a mulligan on this one, I, I would imagine they would have moved forward with a trade of Cesar Hernandez uh, and, and let Scott Kerry play his natural position at second base. I think that that would be, if they could go back and rework this thing, how they would proceed. Um, and so I don't know how much we need to talk about Cesar Hernandez and how he fits – you know, long term or what they might do to try to rectify these issues next season, because I don't think there's going to be a next season for him in Philadelphia. But that's the issue. If guys like Franco, guys like Williams are taking a step forward, it's been amazing and, and probably more detrimental that players like Herrera, players like Hernandez have seen this type of drop off. Yeah. And that's that's why we're, we're talking about. We're not sure. I mean, we know Reese Hoskins is going to be in the lineup, but we don't know where. We know Carlos Santana is going to probably be here. I, I say probably because I guess he could be traded, but I mean he's. There's, under there's a couple of things with that. There is part of me that thinks maybe the Phillies eat some money, and and there's going to be a team that wants that on base guy. You know, maybe he DHs maybe. And, and you know he's not blocking anybody by playing first base. There's a more natural fit for him. But the one thing that you do have to take into consideration, because anybody listening to this show, I, I would say the vast majority of people would say, "Fine, move on from Carlos Santana. Fine with me. I'll drive him to the airport." There is something to be said for how that looks uh, around baseball. And you talked earlier about this whole Joe yeah. Jordan thing and raising eyebrows. You move on from Carlos Santana after one year uh, when you decided to pay him three or $60 million and you say, all right, we're going to go, we're going to move on. That's a bad look. Um, yeah. that, that's not something that you see a lot in baseball, and that's certainly something that's going to catch the attention of players, prospective free agents, um, you know, player agents as well. They're going to say, ooh. You know, is, is that something that we really want to commit to? Or are they just going to dispose of someone just because he didn't have the exact season that they had, that they had hoped for? So that's something to, to keep in mind. So I would agree. I don't think it's a slam dunk that Santana's back next season, but I, I, I don't know. I still think it's more likely than not that he is. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I had boy. I, I just, it, it, I, I don't even know where to go, Bobby. It's just, well, you it's know just what so, it is. I, I was having there are a so many things. There are so many things I want to say, and then I bite my tongue. Well, I, I was having a, a conversation with a friend the other night, and and he listens to the show, and he says, 
You know, it's a shame that you guys weren't more positive when this team was winning because what you've done now is you've been pointing out all this team's flaws for the, the last two months or over the past two months, and, and now here you are, and they're all kind of coming to fruition. And, you, and you, as much as you want to probably hop on the mic and go, see, you know, you know we, we told you this was going to happen. I take no joy in being even remotely right about oh, yeah. this. Um, this, is, this has been miserable. Um, it, it pains me to watch this. I wish that we were dead wrong and that this team was on a 95-win pace right now. Um, but it, it's hard. Or, I mean, or, or I wish we were dead right from the beginning – and that they were a fun team, yeah. young team, up and coming, get excited about the future. We see what the pieces are that are in place, and they're only one or two pieces away, and they're going to be really good next year. I, I, I don't know what they are going to be next year. I just don't. Like, I don't know where this team goes from here. And, and, and you know what? And that's a, I'm glad you said that because for anybody that thinks that, that I'm even remotely hopping on here to tell you I was right, you know, see? Uh, not at all, actually, because if you go back and listen to our shows from March, not only did we talk about the 83 wins, and, yeah, we might end up around that, but the way that they got to this point – um, you know, I really think, like I said, I, I probably use terms like there are no easy outs. One of the deepest lineups in the National League. This should be a potent offense. I'm sure that if you go on Google and look at the articles that I wrote leading up to this season, that those phrases exist, uh, that those phrases exist in pieces that I wrote. You know, I mean, I really was bullish on this offense. I thought that they were going to be dynamic. Uh, I thought that they were, uh, you know, you, that they were going to have guys like Hernandez and Kingery up top that were going wreak havoc get on base I thought Santana would hit 30 home runs in this park uh, you know be a 240 hitter have like an eight low 800 OPS I thought Reese Hoskins was going to hit 35 to 40 homers you know maybe be a 260 270 hitter I really thought that this was going to be one of the more complete lineups in the National League and that they would struggle because of their their starting pitching that's what I thought and, and that's sort of what's been depressing, that we were, or I'll speak for myself, that I was so wrong about so many of the guys on this offense. And you listen to our earlier shows and how we defended Odubel Herrera. Well, yeah. I mean, he's, he has betrayed uh, that confidence because, I mean, he has just been an absolute nightmare, uh, really dating back to the end of May at this point. We're talking about a three-month stretch almost. So, you know, this is not about being right. This is not about being, see, I told you so, because uh, I, I could not have been more wrong about how this offense played out. And that really is what troubles me heading into uh, really this winter. You know, do you have the ability to sell free agents on the pieces that you already have in place? We have a solid core. Can you really convey that message? Or will, you know, these players or these agents that have been around or played against the Phillies or ask around the league go, they're further away than their record indicates. And, and I think that that is a valid concern. I'm, and maybe that's an overreaction. Maybe that's just a take based on the terrible baseball that we've seen really for 30 days and not so much over five months. But uh, I don't know. And that's, that's where my angst comes into play. Yeah, and you're, I think you're right. And I think that, you know, and look, they have money to spend, right? So if they can convince – enough free agents to come in here. Like they Andy could, Machado? Well, I mean, you know, Machado, you know, Harper, Hey, you whatever. know who uh, the scouting director of the Baltimore Orioles was when they drafted yeah, Manny Machado, I, right? I know, Joe, right? It was Joe Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. One less relationship if you were I, – yeah. I love the people that were throwing that out there. Oh, the yeah. Baltimore connection. Yeah, right. um, but it's not even that. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, so they certainly could rectify this by, by buying a team. Teams have done that in the past, right? You go out and you have money to spend, and you spend it, and and you get the players you need. It's that's an old fashioned uh, approach to building a sports team. Um, so that yeah, they could certainly do that. But they, but yeah, that's the the concern is is that they they may not be as good as their record indicates. And not only that, you you point out fe feeling kind of crappy that you got so much wrong. I, I'll go back because I'm I'm just I'm the same boat with you. I, I, I you know I look back at the just looking at the lineup. I, I was wrong on Hoskins. I thought he was going to be better. He's not been terrible, but I thought he was going to be better. I was certainly wrong on Herrera. We liked Nick Williams better than Aaron Altair. We we remember us yelling at the beginning of the year he should be playing more. He should be playing more. We don't understand the Altair thing. Um, so all right, give us a give us a plus on on uh, Nick Williams. Franco surprised the hell out of us. We didn't see this coming. We oh, thought yeah. he was, no, I was, he I was, was dead. Strongly he was dead in the water, right? Done with him, yes. Right. Um, we were 
dead wrong on Kingery, at least for this season. I mean, he could still end up being a really good player, and I think he will be, and I know you do too, but we were both dead wrong there. Um, Cesar Hernandez is less than we thought he was. Um, I know you've had a, uh, a little bit of a, uh, uh, of, a, of a distaste for Carlos Santana, but I think he's going to probably end up with his average career numbers, um, which you know I think people thought he was better than he really is. Um, and that, so I think that one, I'll, we'll kind of give that one a push. And Alfaro dis, is disappointing, than, more disappointing than he was at the beginning of the year. So we, really, Nick Williams, is that what we're going to hang our hat on? As, hey, we got that one right. We didn't yeah, get anything else right. But and, and here's the thing. Again, you go back to the youth. You go back to where, where they really are. They, these are still the, the vast majority of these players that they're counting on are still within the first or second year of their major league careers. So, you know, is it unreasonable to say that Nick Williams takes another step next season or that Michael Franco really is this player that we saw, you know, towards the, or, you know, from the middle of the season onward? Um, maybe J.P. Crawford with a healthy offseason gets it together and becomes a contributor major league baseball player maybe Scott Kingery is this this toolsy you know uh, lightning rod type player that we thought that he was going to be Alfaro's done some positive things this year there's been a lot of ugly things there are a lot of things that I really question and that I have concerns about but there is raw ability there you know maybe he takes another step so it you know I, I just want to make sure that it comes across that Though I'm disappointed and though I have concerns, I'm not closing the book on any of these players either. It's just that there are, there's not as much certainty as I had hoped for from the everyday players on this team. And, and now that concern is starting to trickle into the rotation. And we yeah. have said numerous times this season that the Phillies are going to go as far as this rotation takes them. And I think it speaks volumes. The, the fact that this was a team that was over 15 or fifteen games over 500 at, at, during the second half of the season at some point, it just goes to show you how good that rotation was for so long. But it's starting to catch up with them now. And, you know, I started to really go through, like, how bad has the rotation been in the second half of the season? And I, I narrowed it down to really this losing streak. So from the beginning of August on, after that Marlins series at home, starters over the last 30 days and these numbers were pulled on Monday night um, so also understand that Jake Arrieta pitched into the eighth inning on uh, what is this uh, he pitched into the eighth inning on Tuesday night and uh, it was okay I think he gave up four earned if I'm not mistaken yeah but a couple of those runs were in the eighth inning yeah so he was, uh, he, was, so he, was he had only given up two through yeah, seven so it was so. a decent start by him and then start. and then um uh, Pavetta went four innings tonight and gave up two earned runs. So I don't think that these numbers are going to be vastly different. So, again, these are two days old, but they should be in about the same range. The starters over the last 30 days only have eight wins. Uh, that's bottom third in the league. Uh, they have an ERA uh, over four, which is bottom third of the league, an FIP, which is in the bottom half of the league, of uh, 408. Opponents average around 260. That's middle of the road. Walks per nine, uh, over three walks per nine innings. Uh, over the last 30 days, that's 26th. And then the whip is 1.35, which is also in the bottom third. What's scary about that is that Aaron Nola has six starts in that stretch in which he's pitched to a 1.82 ERA. So that lets you know how bad the rest of the rotation outside of Aaron Nola has been over the last month. Yeah, Bob, those numbers are pretty bad. But if you take Nola out, I guarantee you there are some categories there where they probably would rank last. In the league, yeah. So uh, since August fourth, they are five and eleven. Uh, they have a five and eleven record, uh, and before that, they were thirty and twenty nine. So those other starters were basically five hundred, and then Nola was carrying you from there. Now they're they're six games under five hundred in terms of record, and their ERA sits uh, just shy of five. So, yeah, when you take Nola out of the mix here, you're getting a lot of inconsistency. You're, and you're getting a lot of starts like you saw on Monday afternoon from Vince Velasquez and like what you saw from Nick Pavetta tonight where Velasquez goes five innings, gives up three earned runs, I believe, on Monday. And then uh, tonight you get like four and two out of Pavetta. Like you're not getting deep into games or you're getting complete blow-up starts. Nobody's really gone out and give them, given them that seven innings, one run, eight innings, one run. You've gotten that from Arietta a couple times, but – you were getting those types of starts from Zach Eflin. You were getting those types of starts from Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez, and, and now you're not. Um, and, and just really one more thing, let's just talk about Zach Eflin real quick. His last four starts, he's only gone 20 and a third innings. Opponents are hitting 344 against him. He has a 6.20 ERA. The Phillies are 0-4 in those starts. 
Um, and he says that it's an adjustment that can be made. He says he keeps missing with his inside fastball and that it's getting too much of the plate. He thinks that they can fix it. Uh, I would just ask you this. Do you think that there is any correlation whatsoever between the Phillies sending him down, uh, you know, back in, I guess, what was that at this point, early August uh, and, and his recent struggles? Any correlation at all there? Yes, 100%. And I'm not the only one who feels that way. It's funny. I mentioned Larry Anderson earlier on a, doing on the radio hit today. Um, he said the same thing. And he said, now, the difference is, is he said that he doesn't think it was money related. Um, he said because if guys were really, you know, that worried about Zach, Eff- Zach Eflin be- yeah, missing $30,000, they would have, you know, passed the hat around the clubhouse mm-hmm. and, and made him whole. So it's, it's not even about that. Um, uh, but more so that... It, it just affects the locker, the clubhouse, like, like the chemistry of the clubhouse. Like, you, does, you, does that chemistry mean that all of a sudden you can't locate your fastball? I mean, so it's, and, so it's and, not and even, is he that fragile? I, you know, I could see one start, maybe two starts. You're off your schedule, you know, but you're you're four starts into this thing now. So, so I thought it was ridiculous at the time that they sent him down. I thought it was a slap in the face. Well, and I, I did think it was the wrong move, but now it's a, the, I'll give you a combination of things though. Because again, we've we've had this conversation before that, you know, sometimes pitcher starts are affected by the the players around him. Um, whether I mean, it could be any number of things. It could be you know, we're not getting great defense behind you, or the team is not hitting, and so therefore you have to be that much more perfect. So not only does Eflin now have to deal with you know the the fact that he was demoted, that he's getting less money. Um, that it, you know he was not around the team, and now he's got to come back, and he feels like there's more of a spotlight on him, and there's a little bit more pressure, and the team's now not hitting when he gets back, and oh geez, now I got to figure out how to how to pitch you know pitch better to help the team, and there's just a lot that kind of goes into that, right? That's the human element thing that you can't that you can't measure, and yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, we could sit here and say, oh, is, you know, maybe he's uh, he's just soft. Well, maybe. But maybe he's not. Maybe he's human. <laughs> you know, maybe that's the yeah. thing. And, and maybe it's, you know, I don't know. Put me in that same situation. I'm pitching my ass off and, and playing great baseball. And all of a sudden they say, hey, we need you to go down. And, you know, this is what the deal's going to be. And then when I come back up, you know, now I'm expected to just suddenly, you know, flip the switch and be back where I was before. So, like, as if nothing has ever changed. I don't know. I don't know if I could. I don't know. No, and I, I think you make a good point there. It, I, it's just one more thing. It's just one more thing to kind of to pile on, one more issue. It's, it's probably something that we wouldn't even be talking about right now if, if other things were clicking. But everything is exaggerated. Everything's exacerbated with this team and its struggles. And it's just been – it hasn't been a lot of fun to watch. I think that we can both agree with that. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. And it's not – I don't know if it's going to get any better, Bob. But we'll see. Uh, the rest of this week, you got the got the Mets next. Oh boy, can't wait for that. And uh, we'll probably we'll be back uh, at our normal time, hopefully beginning of next week for our Tuesday uh, re- uh, posting of of the podcast. Uh, so hopefully you'll catch us then. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to check out some of the other offerings on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Uh, it will include uh, uh, cross uh, the Crossing Broadcast. Uh, with Kyle and Russ whenever they record. Uh, Snow the Goalie with me and Russ. Uh, Crossing Broad FC with Russ and uh, Phil Kaidel. And then it's always soccer in Philadelphia for the, the red-hot Philadelphia Union who are playing some great soccer uh, in the MLS uh, with Kevin Kincaid and Dave Zeitlin. So uh, for Bob Wankel uh, at BW Crossing Broad on Twitter, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo at AntSanPhilly on Twitter saying thanks for tuning in and we will see you next week on Crossed Up.